This is the EWN Podcast Network. Welcome to Driving Outcomes, your source for inspired solutions to address the most pressing leadership concerns of today. On each episode, we examine the latest developments in applied research and education and how it impacts your business and social outcomes. Our host, Tracy Shirachi, brings you conversations with groundbreaking researchers, educators, and business leaders who are changing the face of leadership every day. And now, here's Tracy. Hi, everyone. I have the pleasure today of introducing two individuals, both Lauren Michelle Lofton at, as a program associate at Resolution Project and George Shaitis, who's the CEO and co-founder of the Resolution Project. Both are in New York City and are here today to share with us more about the organization. So George and Lolo, I wonder if you could talk to us a little bit about what is Resolution Project and what would you like individuals and uh, listeners to know about the organization? Sure thing, Tracy. Thanks so much for having us on, on the show this morning. Um, it's so great to be, to be chatting. Um, we, we've been really excited about this. Um, so Resolution Project is a, is a nonprofit organization. Uh, we fund, mentor, and support young people around the world starting social enterprises in their home communities. And to give you a, a sense of scale and reach, we support over 500 fellows from 80 countries and 20 U.S. states. Um, they've started over 300 social enterprises that have collectively benefited over 2.7 million people worldwide. So well, those are some top line numbers. We can, we can talk about um, you know, other, other parts of, uh, of it as we go. But I, I think it's also important to understand that Resolution is not just a nonprofit organization. We're also really a community of change makers committed to catalyzing impact where it wasn't. Um, and so you know, in terms of, of starting the organization with my co-founders, we were looking to give young people with great ideas, regardless of their background, the support and networks that we had access to. Um, we saw that, that money alone wasn't, uh, wasn't what was holding people back. It was that entire bundle of funding, mentorship, professional advice, subject matter experts, uh, follow-on opportunities that helped de-risk entrepreneurship and, and sort of answer that question of what's next. And also, of course, community. And so. We built that up. Uh, we built that all up into this really comprehensive bundle over time, and uh, the opportunity to work with undergrads as they're just getting started, as they're just shaping uh, their approach to to life, to impact, to their careers. Uh, it really turned into this opportunity to to change how they looked at opportunities, how they looked at going home, and what they thought they could accomplish over the course of their careers. Which I think is really significant. The change maker. And what kind of impact am I having, right? That's really what individuals want to evaluate or make sure that they're looking at in terms of change, making a change in their own community. So as you've been working with individuals, what kind of changes have you been seeing both globally as well as here at home in the U.S. in terms of uh, different types of companies or different type of enterprises, um, any specific particular areas that individuals are passionate about? Like share a little bit more with us, I guess, a little bit about the program and how are people getting involved in really driving this passion and this momentum behind um, some of the enterprises and the ideas they're coming up with? Sure. So 
An interesting thing about our program is that we're issue area agnostic. We're looking for leaders who will define the issues that they know often firsthand and, and present how they want to approach it. So when, when Lolo and I share some of the different things that we're seeing, this is what young people are coming to us with unprompted, right? This is the things that are most important to them. Right. And so, uh, you know, on, on a global scale, uh, you know, we definitely see things like education and climate change, uh, you know, come up as pretty significant ones. Um, but we also see sort of geographic pockets of, of interest and it's, it's driven by what's going on in the world. Um, you know, for, for, uh, for a few years, we were seeing, uh, agriculture as a leading issue area for fellows that were coming to us, uh, from across the African continent. Um, but more recently we've seen more efforts around education and most, most specifically, most recently, uh, things including a lot of public health response. Um, mm -hmm. As you can imagine, COVID has been a, uh, a, a leading issue, uh, both in its immediate effects, its public health outcomes, but also, um, but also, of course, the secondary effects in the way that it's completely transforming and changing uh, economies and how it's, it's really hurting communities that were already struggling. Um, and so we've seen that in, in the United States, uh, fellows see that in Zimbabwe, in, mm -hmm. uh, in Mongolia, and in, in other parts of the world as well, right? It's, it's taken shape in, in pretty intense ways uh, worldwide. Um, Absolutely. Well, I, why don't you jump in with- uh, Sure. Absolutely. Thank you, Tracy, so much for, for having me on your podcast today. Um, young people, so in terms of the Resolution Project, we really support young people who are looking to make a difference in their communities and who really have a commitment um, to social responsibility. Um, we also support young people who really are resilient in the face of adversity, um, especially during this time. Um, but I think as young people where they constantly hear you're too young to address a big problem such as, such as climate change um, or sexual health um, in developing countries and who will listen to you. And with the Resolution Project, we are there to support them to help prove those people wrong. I think going back to George's point about um, our fellows really addressing the pressing needs at the moment, especially to COVID-19, I wanted to um, speak a little bit to one of our fellows being Vivian, um, Vivian Sang, who actually started um, a social venture called Hope for Success, which is a mentoring program for, um, for, uh, for, first, for first year students um, at the universities um, in Vancouver, Canada. Um, as a response to COVID-19, knowing that many um, many uh, college students and high school students from around the world, especially in Canada, were taken out of school um, because of just COVID. Um, she found an opportunity for those young people to get involved to address um, COVID within their communities um, and to help and to help um, the public the public health system um, really try to um, figure out like a solution forward. So um, she now has recruited um, college students. Um, and also medical students to help um, to help um, doctors uh, with um, with addressing the crisis and also with helping them run errands such as possibly watching their kids picking up groceries all of those things that are probably now a lot challenging um, during this time so I think our our young people are really are and our fellows rather are really trying to through these ventures are really trying to also get other people involved 
in a commitment to social responsibility and service. Yeah, Tracy, it's a pretty cool pivot that, uh, that Vivian made. She took the, um, the tech backend that was used for her mentorship program and applied it to uh, matching doctors with students who could help them um, address um, some, some of those basic chores, those things that they needed to do, you know, pharmacy runs, grocery runs, um, childcare, pet care, um, so that they could put in those long hours at the hospitals that were being demanded right. as, as Vancouver was facing a surge. So, um, you know, we've seen a lot of, uh, of adaptations, mobilizations, pivoting that, uh, that, that fellows have been making to, to take what they already have and rise to whatever the, uh, the occasion is. But in terms of, uh, you know, going back to your, your initial question, um, uh, in the same way, they are very much a reflection of the issues that are facing society. Um, and that's, that's where we see their, uh, their subject matter arise from. Well, what I like you guys are both highlighting is they're seeing a need and they're addressing that need immediately, which I think is really critical. And they're addressing it from their heart. They're not waiting for someone else to solve it. They're not waiting for leaders to tell them what to do. They are being a leader, right? And they're right. helping to identify how can I help? What can I do? What skills or resources do I have to address that critical juncture right now and, and doing it in, in a timely manner versus waiting for a corporation or, you know, others to act or figure out what to do. They're physically doing it themselves and they have the ability to and agility to do that very quickly. And I think in that sense, having a more impactful result by nature of taking an action, because I think right now a lot of people are hesitating around what they should do, you know, waiting for, I don't know, clearer signs or whatever it may be, better information mm -hmm. before they do something. And all the while, it doesn't change the situation or it doesn't change anything. It actually makes it worse. So I appreciate you mm -hmm. guys highlighting that is you're talking about individuals who are acting, who are passionate about doing so, and they're not waiting. And I, I think it's also indicating like they've given it a lot of thought, it sounds like, too. So it's not like they're acting out of haste or out of not thinking through the uh, concern or need. So question for you, how long does it take to necessarily launch a venture or from the time that they come up with a concept, per se, and then decide that they how they're going to make it work and what resources they need? What's the process or what resources could you use or do they use to launch and really get in there and tackle something? Yeah, the, um, so it varies tremendously um, because we are, we get involved at the idea stage, right? Um, that's where, that's where resolution starts. We're, we're, we exist for unfunded ideas and for the leaders that are dreaming them up. And we're always the first to fund and first to believe. Um, different ideas have different levels of complexity um, and something that helps to sort of normalize for that is that we do run a, a light diligence process or a little bit of a de-risking process as, as part of it. And uh, Lolo can certainly speak to, to more of that. Um, but in short, you know, we usually see a lot of these ideas take off from when they were that, that nugget of an idea to, to when they're starting to, uh, to get deployed um, within about a year. Um, so that can range from a few months on the, on the pretty quick side 
um, to, you know, to sort of closer to that nine to 12 month range. We see a, a lot in that, in that window. Uh, sometimes it takes longer still. Those tend to be far more complicated ideas that have either uh, really technical aspects that need to be sorted out or very high regulatory bars. Um, uh, but in general, it's sort of the sweet spot for us and for those ideas that are, that are really focused around uh, boots on the ground and, and you know, creating change in a community that these fellows understand and that they come from. Um, you know, we, we mostly see them within that, that one year time frame. Lolo, do you want to talk a little bit about the onboarding process and how that plays a role? Yes, yeah, sure. Absolutely, George. So once a fellow is awarded um, a fellowship, they have to go through an onboarding process, Tracy. And the onboarding process to me um, and, with, and what I explained to our fellows, it's basically building the foundation for them to really get the ground running for, for when they really start to implement their venture and when they are paired with their mentors called guides, which I'll get into a little bit later. But I um, serve as an onboarding person for, for some of our fellows where they have to um, fulfill a set of provisions in order to access um, all, of the resource that, all of the resources that resolution provides. So for example, if there is an education social venture where, um, where the fellows are trying to recruit participants from a school, um, one of the provisions might be that we would probably, it probably would be best to access a partnership letter from the school um, over over like a time frame of maybe two or three years just to make sure that you do have access um, to those participants. So we help them sort of through that process of how, um, of how to formalize a partnership letter, what conversations you should be having, and also to help them fulfill any other provisions that they might have uh, with their venture. I think also in my role, this is also an opportunity to, to also give confidence to the fellows because this is a very new concept for, for a lot of them where they're not, just, um, they're not just working as a college student, they're also a new social entrepreneur. So there's a lot of challenges that they have to overcome at this moment. And sometimes um, they just need a little bit of an empowerment, um, an empowerment push. And, and some conversations that I have with them is that you know, you went through the process of applying to applying to our competition. You pitched in two rounds at our social venture challenge. Uh, you were able to really um, get your point across to us that this is a social issue that is relevant, and this is how I'm going to do it through you know, through, through my venture. And all of that is an accomplishment within itself, so continue to be on that process, like through this onboarding, because we we provide all of the support, the initial support and continuous support um, through the fellowship, but I know that we also provide um, seed funding. And at a point in their venture, they would have to also ask possibly other corporations or nonprofits for support, um, financial support. So this might not be the only time they might be asking for you know, provisional questions that we would, you know, that we require of them. And I was just going to ask you, like, are venture capitalists or angels attending some of these competitions where they can get a sense for some of the fellows that are pitching and therefore some of the fellows can also get connected with the capital that they may need in order to scale or grow or also additional mentorship? We generally do that later in the process. Um, 
there are of course investors who have uh, who have attended uh, some of the competitions, but they're not there to uh, to to sort of scout ideas. Uh, more than anything, they're usually there to scout talent, right? And so, mm-hmm. sort of getting getting some of these folks on their radar is more about like this is somebody you're going to want to be watching, and maybe it's not going to be this idea. Um, maybe it's going to be the next one, but you've got someone here who's a who's a really powerful leader, transformative leader that's ready to make uh, a commitment to investing in their community and to figuring it out as they go, um, and that they're open to mentorship. And all those things are really, really powerful indicators to future investors. Um, we do more intentional and thoughtful uh, introductions uh, generally as, as folks get a little further along. Um, and we do a lot of work on investment readiness um, and, uh, you know, what it takes to be ready and what it takes to actually uh, pitch and present and, and try to secure that. Um, and uh, we've had some, some really great successes. Well, and the, I've, it's interesting you bring that up because I know I was part of an accelerator at one point in time and in my career. And the one thing that investors always highlighted is it's more about the personality traits and the leadership traits of an individual determines the greater likelihood that a quote unquote startup will succeed than it does anything else. That's not to say that you don't need things like capital and people and other aspects of running an organization, but it's very much about the traits as well as the mental capacity or the mental um, component of resilience and other attributes. So I think that's, phenomenal that you bring that up because sometimes people don't think that they can do it. I think mm-hmm. Lola, you said this before is you're there to help provide confidence and the tools and the um, security. Otherwise that security blanket that I can do this. And it's just, you need the guides to help encourage that aside from providing resources. So I think that's absolutely for anybody that's listening Anybody and everybody can do this with the right mindset, the right traits, the right ideas, the right know-how, so to speak, right, to be successful. But it's watching successful companies and successful leaders and uh, emulating those traits and learning that. Um, What makes Resolution Project, you feel, distinct from other programs or other incubators or... Any other resources that are out there, like in terms of listeners, whether or not they're interested in becoming guides or interested in helping to contribute resources or individuals that are fellows, how should they look at Resolution Project as being very distinct and different from other organizations and other programs uh, that exist? Sure. Um, So I think a few, we're distinct in a few areas. Uh, The first is that like I mentioned, we come in at, at the idea stage. Um, there are, uh, you know, there's a, there's a saying out there, every, everybody loves to be first to be second. Um, and, you know, money follows money. Resources follow resources. Um, uh, it's less risky to make investments when someone else has already invested. Um, and so we really embrace that position of always being a first funder and a first believer. And it's what we've calibrated everything around. And, and to the point you were making, Tracy, um, we, we don't think of it as funding social ventures. We think of it as funding social entrepreneurs, right? And so the investment in those individuals is about their long-term resilience, their long-term leadership, the way they're going to they're gonna jump 
and and attack another problem when it arises, like COVID, um, and the way that they're going to help their community be stronger, and that they're going to find ways to address both market opportunities and market failures um, with with really creative ideas. Um, so there's that part. The second part is that we we really go specifically at this uh, at this stage in life, this undergraduate stage. Um, we've sort of broadened this a bit uh, more recently to be post-secondary, pre-career. Uh, what that means is that we're looking at a group that's through high school, hasn't yet launched their careers. And what we see in that, whether it's community college students, individuals in trade and vocational schools, individuals um, at traditional four-year schools, what we see there is that they have not fully formed uh, their impression of uh, of what their life must be and how it's going to take shape. And that's a really powerful moment. They're also surrounded by a lot of people that are in a similar spot. And so their ability to access peers, their ability to bounce ideas off of other folks, um, they're you know, often having less risk and or sort of uh, fewer liabilities that have built up over time, right? They don't necessarily have a mortgage. Uh, they may not yet have a, have a family or children. Um, it tends to be a time where, where with support, with frame, framing, with, uh, with, with mentorship, um, with encouragement, um, they're actually able to do quite a bit. And, um, you know, when we were actually getting resolution started, uh, when we told some, some great organizations in the space that are doing great work in other demographics that we were looking at undergraduates, because we were saying, well, Fortune 500 companies are recruiting them day in and day out. Why isn't the social sector? Um, and they said, you're wasting your time within four years. They're going to graduate. They're going to go on. There's no way we can fight the incentive structures that are out there for those other things. Um, and people really wanted these opportunities to go home and work on something that mattered to them, that mattered to their family. And so many so many marginalized communities, the rhetoric around it is do everything you can to get out and never look back. And, you know, fundamentally people, people want the same thing. They want, they want to be with people they love. They want to be uh, able to help their families and support the community that they know that they grew up in uh, that helped them uh, in whatever stages they got to. And that ability to create an opportunity for them to go home and do what they wanted to do anyway Right and give them a lot of leverage points to make that happen is uh, it's it's where we've distinguished ourselves as an organization and you know I think it, it all comes down to uh, something that you'll very much understand and that um, uh, that resonates with a lot of our supporters. Uh, this is about leverage, right? And it's about the leverage that we can get together, not leverage of one one person over another. It's about the leverage that these young people can. Uh, can get out of the not just their education, but the entire institution that they're in, and, and what that brings. Right? It's the leverage that um, that our organization can get out of being this first money in at a very small level to support these big ideas and these big opportunities for growth. Um, and so, the the last point that I just share is that we do so many things through partnership. Uh, and again, that's about leverage. It's, it's not about getting our money in and then 
and then just continuing to, to exclude other folks. It's about getting that money in and then helping those individuals find that next most valuable lever that they can push um, that will let them grow, build their impact, uh, build their leadership, and, uh, and, and push things forward. Well, and I think there's some, a number of different things you said, but it's really the focus on social entrepreneurship that I want individuals to understand is it's the heart of who you are, right? And it's the heart of where your family is in your community. And I think there's been statistics and data around this too, but you know, as you run a company or organization, just because you pay somebody more money does not necessarily mean that they're more passionate, nor does it mean that they're more committed, nor does it mean that, you know, it's because it, the heart is missing in terms of what they're doing, right? Their, their profession is more work instead of it being an extension of who they are. And so I think that's really important. The other piece that really resonated is, I don't know about you, but I have really young kids. And so my thing that I'm trying to teach them goes beyond just creating the lemonade stand and the business. But what is it that draws them in terms of helping humanity and the human aspect of who we are in community? And what business can they form around that? And where there's a will, there's a way so that they can be that social entrepreneur and have those, that skill set and those life skills. Because I think what we also have to acknowledge too is that you can go and pursue higher education in whatever form, but that doesn't necessarily guarantee a job at the end of that road, so to speak. And especially in a time like today where we have a lot of college graduates, if you're waiting, I think, for a job to be there and you're waiting for someone to provide it, may not come, right? So the mm -hmm. entrepreneurship skill set becomes more and more critical and how do you develop that at a younger age, but not just only from the business standpoint, but really the heart of seeing a need, uh, you know, wanting to help your community and wanting to help improve people's lives holistically, not just economically. So those are a number of things that I just wanted to highlight for listeners that really resonated in terms of what you were saying. And I think it's also identifying that the resources, there's so much to learn from the next generation. And they're so much more resourceful because they aren't already told what you can and can't do. It's whatever I dream up is possible, which is really mm -hmm. inspirational. And I think especially right now when individuals are, you know, doom and gloom, not all of it is doom and gloom. I think you highlighted the example where her name was Vivian, where she came up with a perfect pivot and just saw a need for helping support our frontline workers and our healthcare mm -hmm. workers. And I know you typically said it takes a year, sometimes longer, but in her specific case, given that the need is right now, how much more effort or work or resources did she need to start pulling this off, so to speak, right now? To the, to the point that you raised, um, the, uh, the skills had been developed in starting that first venture, and she was up and running in a matter of weeks. That's phenomenal. Right. Like I mean, right it there. Was, it was like two, I think, it might have been actually a matter of days. Uh, they made some modifications to their system. She got it out to her classmates, and they mm -hmm. were signing people up. Uh, I think I think within within two weeks, less than two weeks. So she had no problems getting people to help her because it sounds like classmates were like, "Whatever you need, I'll do it." 
She didn't have any fears about, hey, I don't have enough resources. I don't have enough money. I don't, ha I don't know how I'm going to do this. She just literally zeroed in on the need, saw the, how she could help, saw how she could mobilize others. And by nature of just that in and of itself is leading by example and leading this venture. I think that's phenomenal. That, that speaks volumes. I don't have to say anything more. That puts to shame anything <laughs> yeah. I'm doing or anything anyone else is doing right there. Yeah, listen, I mean, I'd be proud if it was if it was just Vivian do, doing this. But I mean, I think it uh, I, I don't think I'm overstating it by saying that what we've developed is a global rapid response force for various crises that, that pop up. Um, I mean, roughly a third of our fellows had pivots up and running within a month of, uh, you know, sort of those those first shelter in place orders. Um, and uh, we've actually since I mean, Lolo's been doing a masterful job uh, along with the programs team on uh, on making sure that the guides and mentors are in place to support them uh, through these transitions because it's a little bit of a chaotic time, not just generally, but when you're when you're making a lot of these shifts. Um, but um, uh, but we've also been working hard as an organization to identify additional resources to to bring to bear because when you've got something that's working. Uh, all you want to do is add fuel, right? You want to help it go faster, farther, um, and so we've uh, we've been able to also secure a couple of partnerships to cre to create grant opportunities um, that are completely unrestricted to help them respond even more quickly um, and with more intentionality. And a, a big partner on that has been the Roddenberry Foundation, um, and uh, uh, and it's been exciting to be able to to support them with the same. Uh, speed, energy, and enthusiasm that they're that they're approaching this work with. And I think that's really critical is having the right partners that are passionate about what mm -hmm. you're doing. And so the alignment is natural. It's not forced or it's not a pitch or anything like that. It's literally right. just a natural alignment. Um, something that I'm curious to know is given the amount of pivots and the changes, um, I think it's really significant right now because the future of our country, and a lot of individuals are talking about this more in terms of economic standpoint, is really social entrepreneurship and innovation and agility. And those are some of the things that you've highlighted in this conversation. Are the fellows are specifically doing that now. Like they're not waiting. They're, they're acting and they're making a decision and they're going with it if it needs to change or adapt or something goes wrong, like they'll make another change, right? It's a natural right. progression or a natural process. And I think that's really important for all of us to acknowledge because those of us that are more stuck in our ways, we usually are trying to analyze and organize and feel like you need to have everything in the right place before you act. And I love the fact that they're just, it's the natural inherent human self of just seeing a need, being passionate about it and following that. So where would you guys like to take Resolution Project in the next five to 10 years? And what are ways that listeners can really rally behind what the fellows are doing and really help contribute and, you know, pour some fuel on the fire to really help leverage and <laughs> increase the momentum of what you're doing? And maybe there's some slight hesitation because it's almost like this uh, natural reaction to speed is also a hesitation to not go too quickly or too fast, but obviously when people are passionate about something, 
there's that natural tendency to really want to get on board and rally behind organizations and individuals. Yeah, without a doubt, Tracy. Um, you know, look, our, our work as a nonprofit organization is to make resolution obsolete, right? We'd like to achieve our mission and put ourselves out of business. Um, that's the ideal setup. That's the ideal outcome. Um, unfortunately, right now, we are facing a whole lot of challenges. Um, uh, COVID, of course, on the, on, the, um, on the public health side has had devastating impacts. Um, but let me just offer, offer this note to, to maybe also help put into perspective the, uh, the wave of challenges we're about to face. Um, between February and April of this year, we don't have more recent numbers yet, but between February and April, April the number of black business owners in the United States dropped by 41%. All of the progress that had been made incrementally um, in black business ownership being realized in this country, 41% uh, of it evaporated in two months. This is a huge problem. It's huge. Right? Huge. And, and this is just... Uh, now, now, I'm going to give you a number, uh, another number to give you know, sort of some relative context. That was compared to a 17% drop in the number of white business owners. Um, right, 17% is devastating for an economy. 41% uh, you get into zones where, it, where you start to question how you can, how you can possibly recover. Um, and of course, the inequality there is, is, a, is a root problem. It's, uh, and it's one that, uh, that is just being exacerbated uh, in times like these. Um, you know, our work has always been uh, to move down the opportunity ladder to places where opportunity wasn't, um, where it was more limited, where, it was, where it's more lacking. Um, we've done that internationally. We've done that domestically. Uh, the need is acute right now to continue to invest in problem solvers, uh, in community leaders and people that are going to to work hard to transform uh, their communities and take ownership for it, um, ownership of it. And, you know, at the end of the day, that's what we are trying to accomplish as an organization. We're not trying to create a whole bunch of social entrepreneurs just to create social entrepreneurs. We're trying to create social entrepreneurs and encourage them and help them realize that dream because it makes communities more resilient. It, it, it avoids the brain drain that's happening otherwise, right? It stems the tide of young, young talent moving away and has them come back and investing and creating economy and creating community and creating value and creating shared value um, and creating local and regionalized um, anchors to be built around and to tie into other systems rather than, you know, sort of the good things just being taken out of those communities as they have been through, uh, through many forms of the economy that, that have preceded this. Um, so, so sorry, go ahead. No, so we're just, you know, we're, we're increasing the regionalization of our competitions um, so that we are creating more recurring talent pools and creating community that's more localized. Um, we're investing in global innovation hubs. We've launched two, one in, one in Nairobi, one in Kigali, um, obviously, it's a challenging time to, to push forward with uh, in-person convenings, but 
Uh, we've seen them play a critical role in convening the entrepreneurial ecosystem and putting young talent in the center of that. And so we're planning when circumstances permit to continue expanding that globally and making those invest investments domestically and, and really working hard to make sure that communities can take ownership of, uh, of both the entrepreneurial ecosystem that exists there and, uh, and investing in their own talent. Um, and that's, uh, that's, that's where we've been aiming ourselves. I know uh, Lolo's been chomping at the bit to share about how, how <laughs> else people can get involved. Yes. So thank you, George. Uh, so the best way for individuals to get involved um, with the resolution project is through our guide program. I'll just talk a little bit about that now. So our, the guide program is our premier volunteer opportunity where we recruit early to mid-level professionals um, that uh, that serve as mentors to our resolution fellows. Um, really, our guides are the lifeblood of our organization. They are amazing. They serve as phenomenal coaches advisors and as sounding boards uh, where they mentor our fellows in three areas. Um, first with the launch, implementation, and sustainability of a fellows uh, venture while also focusing heavily on a fellows personal and professional uh, growth. Uh, because even in their own process of going through um, undergrad and figuring out those next steps, our fellows are doing the same. And through the interactions of our guides of our guides with their fellows, they really set them on a path to sort of figure out what is the next step for them. Is it that they're going to make their social venture their livelihood? Or is it that they're going to amp pivot um, their venture or even start a second one? Um, a lot of our fellows are serial entrepreneurs. Or is it that they might continue their education to grad school, law school, medical school, um, or in another um, education sort of um, space? Uh, I think overall, um, in terms of our guides, um, they are not just here in the U.S. We actually have um, 243 guides that serve our fellows at the moment. Um, we have guides in 15 states um, and overall in 19 countries, but they really are the lifeblood of our organization, and it's just a great time to get involved right now. I would say overall, they're uh, what makes our guide program unique is that it is strictly virtual. Uh, so there is, there isn't like, I guess that fear of in-person volunteering and it's always been virtual um, pre pandemic, but I, um, as a recruiter of, of guides to, um, to serve as mentors, it definitely has increased um, during this time because a lot of, a lot of people want to continue volunteering and they know that through the pandemic, they're not able to do that in person person. So when they, first discovered that the resolution project exists they're like oh my goodness i'm so impressed by the breadth of of social issues that that your fellows are are you know are working to um address through the ventures they're also thinking about well oh my goodness i have you know i have so much to learn about maybe you know maybe kenya and how they're addressing agriculture there through tech so there are a lot of reasons um for uh, um, for individuals to get involved um to support our fellows I really appreciate you highlighting that because I think that is the key is a lot of individuals want to get involved right now, but they're like, I can't go to the physical location. How can right. I? And that's a huge benefit. So I really appreciate you highlighting that. And I really appreciate both of your time for sharing about Resolution Project and your thoughts and the organization. I'm just really pumped up right now in terms of ways that individuals, aside from myself, can better support you and support the fellows. And I think to your point, what are ways that we can get 
more directly involved in communities at risk and ensuring that resources are more equally provided across um, people groups rather than just only in specific areas, which is a whole other discussion, but appreciate both of your time. We have today. some thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure we could go on for forever, no <laughs> doubt. So appreciate both of you for sharing about Resolution Project and just encouraging our listeners to get involved and support both both of you as well as the organization and your fellows. So thank you. Thanks so much, Tracy. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Driving Outcomes. If you'd like to listen to or download other episodes of Driving Outcomes, go to ewnpodcastnetwork.com. This podcast is also available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and most other major podcast networks. Please also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn as The Mark USA. We hope you'll join us again next week for more conversations with today's leaders who are driving for results and achieving phenomenal business outcomes. Have you ever asked yourself this question? Why is it so hard to make a buck? <laughs> I know I have. Hi, I'm Sandra Yancey, founder and CEO of eWomen Network. What I have discovered after going from the brink of bankruptcy to running a multi-million dollar award-winning business is this. You can't build a million dollar dream hanging around minimum wage mindsets. My mission is one million women entrepreneurs generating $1 million in annual revenue. So here's what I've done. I've created the mother of all entrepreneur success programs that you can access online on your time. It's called Monetize Me Now. It's a seven module online course that is 100% my success formula, covering mindset, mission, management, motivation, marketing, and measure. Come on, take my hand and I'll show you the way to learn to earn flowing revenue for your business. Visit monetizemenow.com for details. Calling all speakers. eWomen Network has speaking engagements all over North America that must be filled. Are you a gifted messenger, author, expert, or successful entrepreneur that can help women entrepreneurs grow their businesses? Our mission is to help 1 million fulfilled women each achieve $1 million in annual revenue. If you're a speaker that can help women prosper, go to eWomenNetwork.com and sign up as a pro member of our Speakers Network. That's eWomenNetwork.com. Thanks for listening. This is the EWN Podcast Network.